When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome, everyone. This is the Mind Sculptors Podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Joining me this week again is my good friend Pongo, all the way up from Canada. How are you doing, Pongo? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah. Also joining us this week is uh, my other good friend, the legendary uh, man himself, the last... The crazy lab man, uh, Cobblepot. Cobble, how are you doing? <laughs> doing well. Good to be here. Good. Uh, so last week we did our Strixhaven set review, and this week we're going to be doing our Commander 21 or Strixhaven Commander, whatever you want to call it. I believe it's officially Commander 21 uh, set review. So we're going to be going over the cards in Commander 21 uh, that we think are either going to have an impact on the CDH metagame or are going to, or at least worth discussing to some extent. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to thank you all for joining us this week. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment down below. If you want access to our Discord server as well as some extra content, make sure to head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash themindsculptors or check out the link in the description. Uh, we also have a TCG player affiliate link, so you can click that link down there. And if you're going to be buying some Strixhaven cards that we've talked about last week or this week, you can buy those cards with that link and that will help out the show as well. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into things here. Uh, in our first card is, uh, I believe this is the, the, the front facing command. No, 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 it's not. It's one of the commanders the that commanders, comes with. Yeah. yeah. One of the hidden commanders. That comes with the uh, Prismary. What's the Prismary deck called? I forget the names. I should probably have that up. Um, but anyway, uh, it comes in the red, blue, uh, not is it deck. Um, and this is Veyran Voice of Duality. It's the legendary Efreet Wizard that costs one uh, blue and a red. It's a 2 2 with Magecraft that says whenever you cast or copy an instant sorcery spell, Veyran Voice of Duality gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. The second part of that, uh, it has another ability on it that says if you if you casting or copying an instant or sorcery spell causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So we talked a lot about this deck last week. We're going to talk a lot of, we're going to talk about it right here. Now, Cobblepot, this is definitely going in Kark and Sakashima, right? Oh, most certainly. Again, this is, I think the, you know, whenever a set comes out, we're now kind of <laughs> at, at this point where you look at blue cards and you look at red cards and you're like, yeah, this, this is, this is one of the Kark and Sak Sakashima cards. Um, the, the, the first ability, the, the actual Magecraft ability on the card is is really not all that important because it's just going to, you know, beef up the creature. It'll trigger twice every time you right. cast a spell. But really, 
really the thing that you're you're caring about here is is doubling up on uh, the triggered abilities of things when you cast or copy. For most for most permanents that are in print, it's it's the casting uh, trigger that that a lot of things are going to respond to. So if you're right. looking at like Jeskai Ascendancy or Thousand Year Storm or Aetherflux Reservoir or Krark, um, <laughs> you know th- th- those are all permanents that are that are looking for things uh, they're they're, they're going to trigger when you cast a spell. Right. Um, other other permanents that have just recently been printed, things like the you know Archmage Emeritus and the uh, the, the red one that creates treasure tokens. I forget mm-hmm. what. Uh, off the top oh, of my head, I forget uh, what it's called. Kiln, kiln, storm kiln, artist. Yes, that's what it is. Right. Uh, those because they have magecraft, they will they will also double double trigger on copies as well. So, uh, but for the most part, the things that we're really looking at are uh, uh, things like Jeskai Ascendancy and Aetherflux right. Reservoir. So, um, for the most part, this is. This is just going to be an extra quirk trigger, and I think that's as far as the the CEDH metagame, the thing that you're going to see more most often. Um, there, right. there, we we may wind up like I was saying, you know, in the, in the previous set review, somebody may try to to put something together that's doing you know kind of traditional storm with with cards that actually have the word storm on them, just to right. you know make you know, you know try to take advantage of, of all the magecraft. That, that, that we're seeing and, and, and see if that actually is sufficiently good to, to make a go of it. Um, I, I haven't seen any of that stuff yet, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count it out for sure just because it has, uh, the, the ceiling is, is, is very high. It's just, you know, how often are people going to be able to, to, to make that ceiling? Uh, that remains to be seen. But um, I, I think that it's a, it's a for sure, you know, extra, extra card that we know is going to go into Krark and um, doubling up on on your 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 Kark triggers, it, it's you know you could you can think of it like a, an extra Kark, you know that that's in that's in the deck plus upside if you're playing any of those other types of cards that are also mm-hmm. triggering uh, off of casting spells. Yeah, um, it's it's a really interesting card, um, and. It's very fun to see kind of manual storm look like it's at least maybe attainable in CEDH right now. Right. Um, there's at least like something there where you can get wheels spinning, right? Like for sure. I, I mean, I I've kind of for a long time monkeyed around with five color Jeskai Ascendancy, just kind of you know in the background, never right. actually really playing it. Uh, but you know, being able to get double untaps and double loots. With you know every every spell that you're casting, uh, I mean right. it, it's it seems like there's there's some potential there, but again that's um, how how consistent that's going to be, and you know just <laughs> remains to be seen. Exactly, right. Uh, Pongo, what do you think? Um, I th- you know she's an interesting card. Uh, I don't think she quite get she quite gets there on her own merits. So sort of like a, right. at the helm of her own deck, uh, mm-hmm. helming helming her own deck, I should say. But, uh, you know, certainly it's a powerful effect, you know, if we look at it almost as like a panharmonicon um, in the type of deck that would kind of build around that sort of effect. 
um, obviously at three mana as well, and uh, you know with some other relevant text. Uh, you know, it's it's not quite as insane as Panharmonicon, so like I don't right. don't take that comparison too too literally too deeply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I I certainly think that she can be a role player in in a certain deck. Um, probably, you know, she, you know, like like what Cobblepot was saying with Jeskai Ascendancy. Probably you don't want to be playing her as the commander so that you can probably profit off of more powerful interactions that are possibly outside of her uh, color identity. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, moving on to the next card on our list, uh, we've got, uh, where is it? There it is. Archaeomancer's Map, which is an artifact that what, costs two colors. What about Oskir? Let's do Oskir. Wait, did I, did I jump over that? I think you did. Oh, no, I did. <laughs> I, I scrolled too fast. Look at you guys. Um, excuse me. Next card on the list. Uh, spoilers uh, <laughs> for those of you who are waiting for who, who wanted the surprise. Uh, the next card on our list is Osgear the Reconstructor, uh, which is a legendary creature who's a 4-4 that costs two colorless, a red and a white. Uh, his abilities say he has vigilance. Uh, and he has an ability that costs one colorless, sacrifice an artifact, target creature you control gets plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. Also has a second ability that is an X um, tap ability, and you also have to an exile an artifact card with mana value X from your graveyard, and then you create two tokens that are copies of the exiled card, and you can only activate as a sorcery. So... Uh, Pongo, there's some interesting things. I, I saw a lot of people brewing this. Um, what is um, the real kind of interesting thing that you can do with this right now? Yeah, so this deck has a you know infinite combo or game-winning combo that you can pull off uh, using uh, Mirror of Fate and Ugin's Nexus. It's a surprisingly complex combo, so I won't get into the details <laughs> Uh, if we look at the actual primer, it's, well, one of the primers for this deck, uh, you know, it lists 28 steps, uh, at, you know, and you oh have to gosh. start, you have to start looping it at, you know, step 17 once you get to step 28. Um, so, you know, possibly even more to explain, it, hard, harder to even break down than perhaps like a get rog type combo. Um, that's impressive. Yeah. So essentially what you can do is, um, you know, you're you're essentially able to loop artifact effects such that you can kind of, you know, do whatever you want, take as many turns as you want using Ugin's Nexus, Mirror of Fate, notably lets you get stuff back from exile. So Osgear obviously exile stuff and you know, then you create tokens that are copies. Uh and then, you know, what you can do is essentially, you know, create sort of like a, you know, sort of doomsday style situation where you're just kind of like looping certain pieces repeatedly um and yeah i think at that point it's like kind of trivial to win um so when we're talking about that that combo kind of has some major limitations you know insofar as you need to have your four drop in play uh, he can't be summoning sick <laughs> and you also need to spend seven mana um to, to get going and you also need to have Ugin's Nexus and Mirror of Fate in the graveyard so you know the requirements are relatively steep um, 
you know, I, I think that all of those requirements kind of keeps him out of, you know, being potentially as straightforwardly uh, competitive as like some of the most recent other recent Boros or I should say red white uh, options mm-hmm. that we we've had, you know, things like Cole, um, you know, things like Winota, I think whose game plans are, uh, you know, potentially a, a little bit easier to pull off uh, in the early game, like quickly. Um, you know, I, I like the card insofar as it's like new space for red, white commanders to be pushed into. Uh, he does a cool <laughs> thing. Um, I just don't think he quite makes it in terms of power level. Um, you know, it, it's cool to see that we're getting lots of red, white commanders that are doing unique and powerful things. Um, the biggest issue for me has not been red, white commanders because actually, like I mentioned, we've got Cole, we've got Winota and Osgear is another option. You know, we, we've gotten a reasonable amount of options actually. Uh, the issue is like the supporting cast, right? Like the rest of the cards in the deck, um, you know, red cards have gotten a lot stronger. White cards have lagged behind a great deal. Um, but you know, as powerful as the most powerful red cards are, uh, you know, red and white are not like deep colors, like, you know, blue is like green is like black is. Um, so, you know, it, it, it tends to be that if you're building around both of those colors at the same time, your deck is kind of limited in, in a lot of respects. And so, yeah, we, we need to see just kind of new powerful staples, uh, particularly in white, I think, before red-white really, uh, you know, takes off. Yeah. Right. Red-white is, is, is known for having lower relative card quality than, than really the rest of the color pie in general. Um, the thing, the thing that I think constrains Oscar the most is, is, uh, not only, you know, are, are you limited by the kind of the lack of depth that, that Boros has available to it, but, um, you have to get your, yourself into a, a more novel board state than something like, you know, uh, Winota, which just, oh, play Winota. And creatures and attack, <laughs> you know that that that's that's not a, uh, a you know a non-trivial kind of board state to mm-hmm. to assemble. And um, you know, you're, yes, red does have some you know strong, I, I would say maybe mill and you know, rummaging kind of you know capabilities. But you know, being being precise about being able to get very specific things in you know entombing kind of effects. Uh, I mean, you got, you know, Gamble is, is a really poor man's in tomb. So yeah, uh, Goblin Engineer exists too, but, uh, right. You know. But I, I don't know if a uh, Goblin Engineer can Goblin Engineer even go and get something that's more than three. Yeah. It, it can entomb it can? any artifact. It just okay. can't return any artifact into play. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But, but still it's, it's like, that's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a more novel board state that you need to assemble and it's more fragile. Right. So like with something like Winona, um, you know, if somebody, you know, exiles one of your hate bears, it's like, okay, well, that's a shame, but I'm going to keep on moving. Uh, in the case of Osgear, you know, if, if someone's got, you know, a rest in peace when, you know, your, your mirror of fate is in the graveyard or something, then, well, your game is just over. There, there's, there's not, you know, a, a lot of plan Bs that are 
you know, available to you at, at, at least, you know, kind of immediately at, in, in the first revision of some of these lists. So it's, it's, it's pretty fragile. But I mean, that said, if somebody six months ago said, well, yeah, we're going to be playing Boros Doomsday in, <laughs> you know, in this coming year, I would have been pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, it's a, it's a, it's a cool development and um, I'm interested to see the space get explored. It's just that I don't know if Boros is the, the going to have the support that it needs to, to, to pull it off. Yeah, I think like, I mean, the first thing I want to say is that this is like, if there was any deck in this format that wanted Fervent Mastery, like this is that deck. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> for sure. But uh, I think for me, you know, so my issue with Osgear is that um, Osgear is not as powerful a value engine as something like Winota. Um, and I think that, you know, Winota also lends herself very, very strongly towards assembling, you know, like Kiki type combos. Um, so her combos in many respects are also kind of supported by her ability and are quite straightforward. Um, I think he's also not as uh, straightforward of a combo engine as something like Cole, uh, where Cole, you know, gets a lot of functional redundancy for his pieces, uh, and gets a lot of tutors for like specifically like skull clamp and like the artifact side. Um, so like, you know, while you might occasionally struggle, like for example, with being able to tutor, um, like a cost reducer for the equip costs, um, you know, you're, you're playing a high redundancy of that effect such that like it kind of offsets the limited tutoring capacity in red and white. And then like tutoring equipments is, is not really an issue. So like Cole ends up just being a much more straightforward and much more efficient like combo option. Um, so Osgear kind of suffers by not, he, he suffers from not being as good at combo as Cole and not being quite as good at grindy stacks as Winota, where right. Winota also kind of has the potential to, you know, just, you know, even even if, like, she doesn't combo, like, even if she's not a combo piece herself, she at least, like, digs you really deep and really quick toward your combo. So, right. yeah. Osgear's just not, he's not uh, creating... Uh, advantage he's not created card i mean you could well, say does. that it's he does it's it's advantage because he's doubling up on but he's he's not he's not creating advantage in in the sense that you are seeing more cards right right yeah he, he's so, just essentially doubling up on your stacks artifacts and uh you know the limited amount of value artifacts you can play right It'll be interesting. I didn't know there was a primer for this out there. I kind of want to yeah, there, and look it a up couple, and read the... There are variations. They All all the, the variations I've seen use Mirror of Fate, um, but there's yeah, some that use Ugin's Nexus. There's some that uh, just try to burn people out by assembling a, a combo that can win on the spot. Um, I mean, there's interesting things people are trying, and I, I you know, it's... It's it's probably not going to be good enough to get there in the metagame, but it's it's good for people to explore this kind of stuff because yeah. this is what causes the metagame to evolve, and you know it makes things more interesting, and you know it makes Boros a, a you know a better place to be. Right. Yeah. It, it's certainly more compelling than things that we have seen in the past. 
Um, and it, it's exciting to see the color combination really get a lot of love. I feel like in the last year. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting. Um, but speaking of some white love, um, <laughs> maybe this isn't white love per se, but it's a, uh, we spoiled this earlier. Uh, Archaeomancer's map. It's an artifact that costs two, two colorless and a white uh, that says when it, ETBs, search your library for up to two basic planes cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. Whenever a land and its second ability is whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, the player controls more lands than you. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So Cobblepot, you kind of scoffed a little bit when I <laughs> when I said white yeah. love. Uh, so so tell us, what's your opinion of this card? So the thing that people are immediately going to compare it to is burgeoning, and um, burgeoning is a one mana enchantment in green that does not have the rider that says that you only get the benefit if you are behind your opponents. So um, the the only the only difference is it's a very slight difference in wording. Burgeoning triggers off of people playing lands, which is a a, a game action. Um, right. So ostensibly if you are two lands behind an opponent and you play this you can get two planes and if that player if that player plays a fetch land for instance they put the fetch land into the battlefield and they crack it through that you could put both of those planes onto the battlefield um but the fact that once you've closed the gap with your opponents um that it just stops providing value is um it's it's a shame uh but in addition to it white doesn't have great card advantage so the biggest problem you know we're, we're gonna we're comparing it to, to burgeoning and saying it's not as good as burgeoning burgeoning doesn't see play because burgeoning right. suffers from the the problem that well, you just how off how often do you have uh, lands in hand that are not the land that you're playing for turn? I mean, really, the only time that that burgeoning is good is if you've got some sort of a, a an engine that's you know keeping you uh, you know stocked with 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 cards in hand and um, you know continually seeing new cards that you know you 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 don't have all of the the economy to be able to get into play on your turn. So white, you know, when, when we're looking at this, you know, mono white doesn't find itself in, in, in that, that space very often where it's just got tons of card in hand and um, it just needs, you know, more acceleration to get all the lands into play. So I, 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 I see this similar to, you know, other, other cards that have been printed recently for white. Um, mm -hmm. where, I mean, yes, it, it is, it is, it is fetching two basic planes to your hand. So if you've got some sort of like a flicker capability or something like that, then sure. Then, okay. May, maybe there, there's, there's an angle on this that you can play to maybe, you know, kind of keep your hand stocked, but even, you know, once, if, if you are keeping your hand stocked with extra lands, you're going to hit this threshold where you've got the same amount of lands as your opponents and this card just turns off and really is a three mana do nothing. 
so it's i it it's you know inspiring that they're 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 trying to examine the space and see what they can do to help white to succeed um this implementation doesn't get there in my opinion i think that's well said um i would add and you know what's interesting about this card is um I was watching uh, Good Morning Magic with Gavin Verhey. I think it was, you know, even today. Um, I think it was today's episode, but I, I could be mixing it up with another day. Uh, for context, we're the 16th today um, as we record this. And, you know, Gavin was saying that this is, you know, at least from his perspective and from the perspective of design at Wizards of the Coast, um, this is a white staple, like a new white staple for a commander. Uh, and, and he was saying, you know, like, we're trying to avoid printing commander staples because we know people don't like that. We don't like, you know, you guys feeling like we're essentially printing cards that makes it so that you have to run these cards and then you have, like, fewer meaningful choices to make in deck building. And, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I think probably that holds less true for CEDH just because, you know, they're yeah, gonna... we like staples. Yeah. <laughs> and And beyond that, you know... Like they're gonna print stuff in other formats, uh, you know, another in like standard and stuff that's gonna be utterly broken, and like we'll play it, or you know, like they'll 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 print stuff in like Modern Horizons that will be super broken for our purposes, and we'll play that or Commander Legends most recently. Um, yeah, no kidding. But you know, the interesting thing is they said the exception to that is that we want to print more white staples, and <clears throat> this was you know sort of posited as like the first example of that that we should expect to see. Um, and I agree that for like more casual commander, um, right. for especially for like low color white decks, this 100% actually to me feels like a staple card. And it feels like a staple card because, you know, I think while Cobble, your analysis was spot like right on for CEDH, when we look at this through the lens of more uh, like lower powered formats, you know, this is like a draw too right three mana draw two and you can flicker it and like draw more cards because we're talking about a format where like drawing additional lands is not a problem because you're going to want to make more land drops over the course of a 10 turn game um you know we're talking about a format where people are playing their their cultivates and people are playing their kodama's reaches and like all kinds of land acceleration so like people if you're playing low colored white decks especially without green people are often going to stay ahead of you on lands and so this card is definitely going to let you, you know, sort of keep up with them in that respect and can also be a powerful value engine because white naturally does flicker things. Um, so it is kind of an exciting card. Um, it's a, And it's a powerful effect. It's just not generating value uh, at, at a rate or along an axis that's relevant to our format. Um, you know, we can jam so much fast mana that like getting an extra land drop into play for three mana is like rarely relevant getting a couple more lands is like you know out of deck is rarely super relevant you know people are not playing kodama's reach and cultivate um so yeah you know this is just a card that uh is unfortunately not quite there in terms of power level but 100 percent feels like it is there in terms of like the requisite effect for you know a different context if you if you catch right. my drift 
Well, and we've not seen anything like this really in white before. Um, the first it, thing it, that I think of, Callahan went, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I couldn't help but but think about it when, you know, Pongo, you're, you're talking about white staples. I, you know, the first thing that I think of when I think of a white staple, land tax. Now, I may be, you know, that, now that's a card that is like so good that it, it's 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 unfair to use that as a lens with which to evaluate new cards that are coming in because land taxes is, is is so broken. Um, but you know I I I can't help but compare this to that because of you know okay so you know as long as anybody's got more lands than you you're going to be drawing you're you're going to be basically getting three extra cards. And it's it's repeating, so it's not just when it first comes onto right. the battlefield. And um, most of the time, you don't care about those cards because they're lands, but you care about them because they're cards. And then you want to use, you know, a scroll rack or you know s- some way to turn those cards into real cards that you actually care about. And um, you 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 can do similar things with with this. It's just it's powered so far down that it. I I, I think you know you're your your assessment is apt it's that we're coming from a cedh perspective probably are we're you know we're not going to be this is this is not for us but to even to your point cobble you said this about burgeoning and you said this is very familiar with like similar to lantex Uh, does lantex really see play in cedh it does but again niche niche play yeah yeah, but that's my point right is is it's like, like even Tatiova isn't terribly interested in burgeoning, and that's like kind of the point, right? Is these cards that in casual like high powered seat or competitive, Jesus, in casual high powered commander, are gonna be good. Uh, I think about like in like the power level that uh, Nathan the Hermit Druid and like Dan. Uh, have been playing at recently lasagna right? tier. Yeah, yeah this is gonna be great in that tier right um this will be right in what they're trying to do for what we're doing not so much um but you know it's it's an interesting card it, it it's at least indicative of a trend towards more aggressive or, or more powerful uh white cards being printed in a modern setting yeah, I was hoping. My my issue, like one of the disappointing parts of the card, is that it only gets planes. If it got like any basic, that would be really hot. If it got just planes, not basic planes, I think it would be. You would we would have more of a discussion in CEDH. Yeah, I mean it, that's such a different card at that point. That's, you know, you can start playing that in uh, like higher colored decks, right? Right. You know, right now this is because it cares about basic lands, you know, you're playing it in two color decks at the most. Uh, if it hit more than basic planes, then like, you know, one of the limitations of this in mono white is, you know, while mono white does have flicker effects, as you know, as we were talking about before, as Cobble mentioned, it's like better at flickering creatures where blue is better, is like better at flickering kind of everything. Um, so, but you can play this in a blue white deck, right? And like, you're going to get all those flicker <laughs> effects. This can, actually feels bananas in Brago. Well, I don't know if it. That's the thing, right? It doesn't feel bra, uh, brog. It doesn't feel bananas in CEDH Brago. 
because well, yeah mostly because like you've you're just mulling to like all kinds of fast mana in that deck and like and like right. you would prefer I thought we've that, established that it's not very that we all think it's not very good in in cedh <laughs> right yeah we have <laughs> you know i don't need to say much more than that but uh, you know if it got any basic you could play it in your blue white you can still play it in your blue white decks but i think you'd feel a lot better playing it in your blue white decks if you could get basic islands and then yeah you i'd, could also I'd do, agree with that you could also do fun flicker shenanigans with it a lot more easily yeah i totally agree with that um but this isn't the only uh not quite there mono white card that's in this set uh we've also got monologue tax uh which is a two colorless and a white enchantment says whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn you create a treasure token so pongo this card uh is very reminiscent of two cards it's kind of like if smothering tithe and crom had a baby is that is that like a good way of describing this you know how like when two really attractive parents get together and you expect them to have like an incredibly (laughs) beautiful baby And, and for whatever reason, that baby comes out and it looks like a foot. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's quite that bad. but um, It's bad. It's, it's really bad. It's certainly not as good as the two parents that you mentioned. Uh, I think Smothering Tithe, obviously, um, with that card, kind of the big benefit of it is that you're getting like the treasures guaranteed pretty much like for the draw for turn. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that like, I've never seen somebody pay the two. It does happen, but like it almost never happens. So, you know, you pay that four and then like all of a sudden, you know, you are representing one mana interaction almost immediately, uh, such that like tapping out for your big expensive value engine was like, maybe not as, uh, shields down as, as, uh, you know, it would be for, most four mana engines um and then chrom obviously draws cards and i think drawing cards is much more powerful than creating treasure tokens in general um so monologue tax doesn't quite get the guaranteed value of smothering tithe um it doesn't have the combo potential of smothering tithe with wheels is another enormous factor uh and it makes treasure tokens which is you know which is good don't get me wrong but it's not as good as drawing a card when somebody casts their second spell per turn. Um, you know, I, I think that maybe we're being like a little harsh on this card. Um, I could certainly see it seeing some play uh, in some contexts because, you know, like it is like, really like, not unusual. Like for what context? Like what context do you think this is playable in? Not rule of law. Well, that's the issue, right? And, and that's that's the big issue that I was getting to is that like white decks frequently play rule of law effects, and so this is obviously a major non-bow alongside those. Um, but there are, you know, some more combo-oriented white decks, uh, not not typically mono white decks, but like you know, multicolored white decks that could potentially, you know, run this, um, you know, just sort of as a like meta choice, perhaps, you know, if you're expecting to play against like a lot of, um, you know, sort of more spell slingery type decks, uh, you know, you know, this might get you three treasures immediately. It's just, you know, three mana, you've ramped three for your next turn. And, and maybe that's enough that it kind of gets you there. Um, you know, I, I know that in the metas that I play in, people are like pretty respectful 
of effects like this. People are pretty respectful of heuristic studies, frustratingly so. Um, as I'm, I'm sure, aware. Yeah, you can attest to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the amount of times that my heuristic study has just not drawn any cards and I'm just like shaking my head. Like I'm just like, you know, that meme with the guy who's like, like eyes just kind of like get wide and like his head goes back a little bit and he's like, what is even happening? Um, we play in the literal opposite of the Finns meta. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> there's the level of respect is too damn high. Um, so I could easily see this, you know, not generating half as much value there as it would in, uh, you know, more typical places where people are perhaps less respectful. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that this card is not like instant staple tier because like, like I it's said, bad. it's just, it's not as good as your Chrom. Uh, it's not as good as your smothering tithe. And, you know, even something like Smothering Tithe is starting to see less play. Um, and if that card is seeing less play, then this card certainly would not be my pick over that card. I'll put it that way. So, Cobblepot, I, I sense you have feelings on this. Uh, yeah. How, how, do, how do you feel? I, I feel disappointed because the card could have been, I mean, it. this could have been a one mana card, I think. I don't, I don't feel like it is at three mana pulling its weight um yeah it, it has i feel it, it it's got a ceiling of three treasures per turn which is if all three of your opponents cast two or more spells which i mean yeah that's going to happen sometimes but its ceiling is three most of the time you're maybe going to see one treasure per turn and you know if, if or you know two treasures if people are contesting something um, I think this would be broken at one mana, though. Like, you know, maybe at two mana, but I think but at it's one for, mana like, this would be is broken. Is it really? So yeah. really? I feel like I feel like either they could have brought the cost down, or they could have made it more similar to Smothering Tithe in that it doesn't have uh, an unnecessary uh, or artificial ceiling or cap. So. If, if this was instead, you know, they, they could have made it when someone plays their first spell each turn and that's it. You just get one, you know, you, you get one treasure token when someone casts their first spell each turn. It, that'll right. create way more treasure, but it's still limited to, you know, just one for, for each person who's participating. That would have been much better. And I would, I would certainly pay three for that. At three more. Yeah, I agree. Or if it was, you know, once they've cast their second turn, each additional turn after, you know, each additional uh, cast after that was another treasure. I mean, we, we look at we look at Smothering Tithe and it's it's a real strong card, but I don't feel like it's a mistake. I don't feel like no. Smothering Tithe is is a broken card and, you know, needs to be addressed. This feels like this feels like uh, there's some people trying, think it does. This feels like them trying to address Smothering Tithe and say, well, Smothering Tithe was too much. And we're gonna we're gonna buckle down. And we're gonna play something that's more reasonable. And I mean, this is certainly more reasonable to the point of not being useful. I, I like the idea of this at three, and you get a treasure for each spell after the first spell because it it's fully within flavor, right? right? Yeah, it's fully within flavor. Like even the and flavor it makes text sense says, with the name of the continue. card, and it and it makes sense with the flavor. Yeah, with the name of the card. Um, and I think that that would have made it a lot more compelling. I agree with that. 
I think a one mana, you know, we're underestimating just how busted this would be if it, you know, as printed. But what you suggested at three mana, I think, could be done. Um, there's like a great deal of potential play around that, but it's powerful, right? Like, and and that's right. what we want to see. And I love that White's thing with these tax effects. By the way, have turned into people vomiting treasure. I right. I, I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I don't know how true that actually is. You know, I think obviously that they're like making sort of like a deliberate homage to Smothering Tithe here, but uh, you know, I please prove me wrong, Wizards. Like, print more white cards with people just vomiting randomly like I mean I'm, I'm here for this it. card vomiting makes me want to vomit not because it's you know a <laughs> well moving on to a good card um this card is uh our first away. this is a good card this is a good card um it's a blue card it's called theoretical duplication that costs two and a blue it's an instant that says whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control this turn create a token that's a copy of that creature so um who do i, t- who do I-, I sent that over to pongo so cobblepot so you, so you you think this is a fine card i disagree i think it's a really good card uh tell us your thoughts on this one so this you know um there's there's similar cards that have been that have been printed recently uh there's there's the one that was just two sets ago that's one in a blue where the next creature that comes into play you mystic get mystic reflection yeah mystic reflection mm-hmm. this, this is this is worded slightly differently so this is for the rest of this turn whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control um, you get to create, you know, a copy. So if someone's going to be, if someone's going to have multiple creatures come into play that are that are non-token, uh, then you're just going to get copies as well. Mm-hmm. Normally, I can't imagine a, a situation where an opponent, because this is non-token creatures. So once you've cast this, normally what I what I would expect is someone's going to cast a creature, and then you're going to respond with casting the spell and they're going to say okay all right you're going to get a copy of this creature as well and they're probably going to stop casting creatures um and not just like keep on feeding you more creatures necessarily but yeah for sure. i mean i feel like we're having the opposite discussion you and i have opposite of feelings on this card that like i have i feel about this card the way you feel about our wandering archaic and vice versa Okay, I, I think I think this is really good. I I just I, I think people will will cast into it. So I think people are greedy. So here here's here's my my thoughts. How often are are we going to want to slot this instead of a counter spell or instead of removal to you know just kind of because that this doesn't really fit with any specific game plan it doesn't it doesn't propel any particular game plan it doesn't motivate you know and 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 move any particular game plan along it's a interactive um very you know kind of i would say high variance card based on the 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 other players that you're playing against now that said 
Um, if you're in a metagame where you're playing against a lot of notion thieves and hull breachers and opposition agents and dockside extortionists, then sure, absolutely. That, you know, having something like this around to deal with the fact that, oh, somebody's casting a hull breacher, I'm going to get one too. Um, I, I, I can see that as, as, you know, just being opportunistic and... Mm-hmm. Uh, creating some some interesting dynamics in gameplay because you you could say well in you know instead let's 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 slot more counter magic that hits creatures so that when someone casts their hull breacher you can counter the hull breacher this okay. is this is moving in the other direction this is saying when someone casts a hull breacher I'm going to get a second hull breacher and now the rest of the table has to deal with two hull breachers so it's it's creating a different dynamic in how that plays out because now there's two two players with hull breachers, so neither of them are going to wheel. So there's there's kind of this 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 parity that's going to happen, and there's kind of this opposing force between the two of them. And one removal doesn't get the table out of the situation. One removal actually makes the situation much more profitable for one player or the other. So it 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 creates some some interesting moods there. You know, it changes the landscape. But what is the deck that wants it? You know what? What? What deck is is the one? You're that not going to like my answer. Oh, great! Here we go. Um, <laughs> I, I think is, I know is, the is this, answer. Is this the token Lavinia? Um, mentioned this is for, for this art? is this is this is our uh, obligatory Lavinia mention. There's actually uh, several lists I could think of that would like this. Um, okay. Specifically, blue decks that are low uh, in creature count. Um, this is really good because you get to get the best creature that your opponent has. Um, so I, and I'm going to use Lavinia for this example because I play Lavinia and I, I work a lot with that deck. So I'm more familiar with it. Um, but sit with me for a moment where I'm Lavinia, I'm playing up against Najila, which is traditionally my worst matchup. I'm playing up against Kenrith, which is traditionally my worst matchup. And I'm playing against Timnacrom, which is traditionally my worst matchup. Somebody plays matchup. any bad time, right? Any, but any of them cast any of their commanders. And I cast this in response. I also get that commander, um, which puts us um, in, in specifically with Omen Pool, puts you in a completely different game. Because now if I have a Kenrith and you have a Kenrith, I get to play way differently. It completely changes my game plan. And so on the surface, this looks like, Sure. Tim Nathrasios, you're not going to see play. Um, you know, Tim Necrom, probably not going to see play. But in these decks, uh, like I could see this in maybe Zur. I could see this in, I could see a world where Kinnon would be, maybe some grindier versions of Kinnon would be interested in this. Um, these decks that play lower amounts of creatures, um, maybe not lower amounts of creatures, but maybe don't have as like slap you in the face as hard creatures um, can play this as a really good way of getting around uh, bad matchups. And this is, and I think Phoenix Phoenix uh, said this, and I thought Phoenix had like, when we were talking about this, when it got spoiled, Phoenix whimsy and I both had the exact same re- reaction, which this card is what we thought mystical reflection was going to be. Right. Like we saw mystical reflection. We're like, oh, Mr. this card's going to reshape a lot of stuff. This card, especially after testing it, 
is what we thought mystical reflection would be for our decks. This card's really good. I, I now again, like I said, Kenrith doesn't need it. Najila doesn't need it, but Lavinia needs it. And those lower colored decks absolutely need it. And uh, I, I, I think it's a slam dunk in those types of decks. The thing is, um, and I mean, th- those are some good points. I, th- I think the metagame, the types of counter spells that people have been slotting, you know, of of late, are mm-hmm. are, are typically soft to creatures. So there, there's not a lot of, you know, it creatures don't get countered often. Um, mm-hmm. We 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 try to encourage people to you know run unconditional counters so that they can be able to counter creatures and, and deal with right. that. But it's still a lot of the time you've got a lot of miscasts and, you know, negate style kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, counter magic in the metagame. When someone casts a, a problematic commander and mm-hmm. somebody else is going to respond with theoretical duplication to get another copy of that problematic commander. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody else... You know, a, a third party who has a counterspell in hand that is likely not going to be able to hit a creature mm-hmm. will be able to hit an instant. And sure. I'm 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 thinking that I I I in in those circumstances when you're count if you're gonna put a copy of something that's a a, a really threatening card onto the battlefield and people are looking at the proposition of having two copies of something that's really problematic. Um, they're going to counter one of the two of them. And this is, this one being an instant is going mm-hmm. to draw more of that counter magic just by virtue of the fact that it's an instant and isn't a creature. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. So uh, I, 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 I will I mean, say I'm, the fact that it's, it's blue gives you a lot more because I mean, Again, like you're going to be playing a lot of those same spells, and the decks that are going to want this are going to generally be controlling mid range decks. Um, and so, because this is this can be a really good way to get you ahead in those shells uh, in lower colors. And so, in in my perspective, you you will be able to defend this more often than not, and especially in the meta, the way that I've been seeing it go is. You know, people, if I'm like, all right, I'm going to cast this and somebody tries to counter it once, you know, I, I don't feel like most people that are not like on other mid range strategies are going to fight over a second counter spell very much personally, uh, if it's not game ending. Um, and this is enough to draw a counter spell. I don't know if it's good enough to draw two. Um I, I have a couple of points about this card. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Uh, the first Obviously, one I, I had thought. The first point I want to make, <laughs> I think, I, I already can kind of imagine what Callahan's reaction is going to be. But uh, I just <laughs> wanted to point out the fact that uh, you mentioned Lavinia's bad matchups, and you just literally named like three quarters of the CEDH meta. <laughs> <laughs> what? I named Najila, I named Kenrith, and then I said Krom. Tim to Krom, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'd say that's three quarters of the meta. I, I feel you like know, it's a pretty three quarters is, is, yeah. 
okay. is, is highballing that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but. I'm exaggerating for effect. We're still the best anti-Nas deck. Um, so I actually feel like this card, you know, like a lot of somewhat similar cards, is going to have this problem of like it's just going to kind of rot in your hand a lot of the time. Um, you know, you're going to yes. tap out to do something, uh, you know, that you sort of need to do more urgently on your turn. And that's like when someone's going to develop their Kenrith, like that's when someone's going to develop their Krom. And then you're just going to have this and you're just going to be like looking at it and being like, well, shit, like I wish I had three mana like sooner to, to do this. Um, you know, you're going to end up waiting for somebody mm-hmm. to cast something, you know, more impactful. Uh, and you know, you're just going to see turns passing by and like, you know, in many situations, this card's just not going to be good enough to get you out of, um, the situation, you know, you would, you would need a card to get you out of like a sort of more general purpose counter spell or something like that. Um, you know, I think that if a deck is not playing Phyrexian Metamorph, it probably doesn't want this card, right? Like, you know, there, there's like something to be said for the potential advantage of having like a you know pseudo creature silence in addition to like a copy effect um but it kind of feels like you know a lot of the time if you're playing this as a generic value engine and it, and you kind of have to be playing it as a generic value engine you might as well just copy the thing at sorcery speed and like i don't I- know that the silence effect is actually that relevant because, like, how many creatures per turn are you playing, right? Like, Right. Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. I don't know. I I, 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 and I think those are good points. Uh, I just think that... What's the words I'm looking for? Like... I think I, your, your point was kind of that, like, in a deck that doesn't have much better options, that this is a fine option. And I, I think yeah, you're I mean, right. Like... Like, so, I... It, I think it is a good card. I don't think it is like going to be a format staple for a lot of things, but the decks that were interested in mystical reflection are going to be interested in this card. Um, and I think this is certainly better than mystical. Ref- mis- wow. Words mystical reflection. Well, I think mystical um, reflection has the potential upside of being essence scatter that this doesn't right. Like right. that's a pretty major difference. Yeah. I mean, I, my evaluation of this really comes down to it's in my opinion, it's better than Phyrexian metamorph, but not as good as phantasmal image, but it's like on par with both those cards in my opinion. And I, and I, I, I do think that having a silence effect is much more relevant than, you know, well, if it was might. a real silence effect, but it's a right, right. It's a pseudo effect. But and, this and also even comes. Then it's not right because it's. But it's, we just had this argument last week, right, where we were talking about wandering archaic, and everybody was telling me that oh well, people will cast some spells into it, and then I get reports back from Ian, and okay, maybe I was wrong about wandering archaic. It seems that people are greedy motherfuckers, and are casting in. He had somebody cast an intuition and a demonic tutor into his wandering archaic, and I really, what? really, really want to know if that person like graduated high school because like that's just insane to me um but like this i feel like it's like a similar thing right because if if you're going to be evaluating like wandering archaic where it's like okay so this is like a wristic study effect 
um, where, you know, people have to pay into it. Right. I mean, this is, this is in that same category at that point. Is it not like it's, it's still suggest like it's a tax in a way of saying, okay, I'm going to get your Crom or your Kenrith or whatever. And then anything else you play this turn, I'm also going to get. And it's a suggestive tax shirt for a turn, but I mean, at instant speed, that's certainly worth at least having a conversation about in low color blue decks. Well, the the point I wanted to make is that you have to think about like some of the times where people might play multiple creatures in a turn. Like if somebody plays Grand Abolisher and you get a copy of their Grand Abolisher, but they still get a Grand Abolisher, they're going to follow it up with a Dockside and like try to win in that spot. And that's where mm-hmm. this differs from a true silence effect. Right. 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 But then even also- even even the 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 silence outside of it, if mm-hmm. if if you're looking at this, if you're looking at it as a creature, that's you know because because really really, for for the most part, what this is is this is a clone that can only be played with flash, is is, right. is what this card is. Okay. It, it and, you know, having the the impetus such that you can't play it on a main phase you know you you it's it's a it's a clone effect that you can only play in response to somebody else playing their creature um mm-hmm. so not not even not even you know you can only play it on your opponent's turns it's it's a it's a clone that can only be played in response to somebody else playing a creature it 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 just makes it so much more narrow in its application maybe mm-hmm. you know the the in, in the problematic matchup, for instance, and mm-hmm. you're, you're you're saying, okay, this is this is going to be my equalizer. Um, for I mean, for, it's for, not the equalizer. Sure. It makes it 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 worsens the blow because I mean, especially in a deck like Lavinia, a lot of what we did in the update was playing more like creatures and things that add that value, um, and moving it to a more mid range strategy where. Like seeing a Kenrith is not the end of the world. Right. And this just kind of adds to that like layer, if that makes sense. Yeah. I it's it's just one of those things where, you know, you're you're gonna have to to, to Pongo's point, hold up the three mana. Oh yeah. And it that's You might do that a lot. You might have to do that multiple turns. At and right. at, at which point play when, creatures. When you're doing that, you're depriving yourself this this is this is in itself, kind of capturing the essence of what was terrible about the Flash meta. Because mm-hmm. in the Flash Hulk meta, everybody always had to hold up mana to be able to interact with any Flash that might happen. So because they were always holding up that mana, they were stifling their own development. So they couldn't develop because they had to hold that mana open. And this card, mm-hmm. I think this card in most of its applications is going to exert that force. This card is going to stifle your own development because you're going to be holding mana open, waiting for the opportunity to use it. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So You both make good, compelling arguments. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I we think could it's... wax poetic on this card for another 20 minutes, but I think we could probably move on. <laughs> I mean, it's Evidently. it's worth trying out, and I certainly yeah, think it's worth and, trying you out know, and I and and in a, in a place you know, like and I'll, Lavinia, and uh, in in I think I said this uh, 
earlier. It's like I, I am clearly wrong about wandering archaic um, because I've had multiple people report to me people just casting spells into this thing. The thing about just wandering archaic is blows that, my mind. Right, wandering archaic doesn't need people to cast things into it for it to 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 have a positive effect. If it's holding mm-hmm. people off from casting their spells because they don't want to cast into it, it's also mm-hmm. doing its job. So, right. But it's just bananas to me that anybody would cast a tutor with that card on the battlefield. It literally, it, it blows my mind. That is the greediest thing I could possibly imagine. Yeah. It's, but it, that's definitely loose play. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, there's uh, some interesting cards, um, some interesting black cards that got printed in this um, strong black cards. Yeah, I don't know how good all of them are, but they're certainly intriguing. Um, And this one, I think, is pretty good. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like it's very good and disruptive, but we'll see what it does. It's cutting rhetoric. It's two colorless and a black enchantment that says whenever an opponent attacks you or one or more planeswalkers you control, exile the top card of that player's library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color. Uh, So, Pongo, this is uh, not a card that you want to see if you're Najila, I would assume. (laughs) That's that's fair. Um... (laughs) Point of clarification on this card is, you know, to my understanding, is it's only going to trigger one time, regardless yeah. of how many creatures you attack with. So, like, you know, you can still win through this, right? Like, right. not the end of the world. Um, and you it's know, it's not great. <laughs> it's it's not ideal, but like, you can attack other people, right? Um, right. So, I think against Najila specifically, it's maybe less effective at. No, I mean, like, essentially none of these effects, you know, if we compare it to, like, Ghostly Prison, for example, none of these effects actually stop Najila uh, unless, mm-hmm. like, everyone has them. Um, and even then, like, if you, like, can Dockside into enough mana, you can theoretically, like, still get around it because the way it works is that for a card like this um, and for a card like Ghostly Prison, you know, the tokens that you have entering play, um, tapped and attacking, you don't have to pay any taxes for that you know they're not triggering cunning rhetoric so like on your combo turn as long as you can sort of like send your attackers to somebody else and then send the token copies over to the ghostly prison player or the cunning rhetoric player you know they're not getting any benefit from from their ability uh so you know this card is interesting um i I like the effect a lot. Let me say that. I, I like this more than, you know, your propaganda and your ghostly prison. I actually mm-hmm. kind of hate it from the perspective that it feels like a more powerful version of those effects to me. Um, you know, it's it's less good at disrupting, like, you know, like infinite token beat win cons as something like ghostly prison or propaganda. But mm-hmm. I feel like this card, you know, while it's going to, like, not stop people from attacking you and so like you're not going to be like necessarily protected from somebody being able to swing in with like a big creature or something like that um you know it is going to ward away all that like little chip damage because people are not going to want to let you like essentially draw like you know upwards of like four five six seven cards um you know from their deck as well uh so i i think 
you know, from that perspective, it's going to be potentially potentially a strong reward than something like Ghostly Prison would be. Um, it's in black now, so like black all of a sudden now has this effect that really solidly <laughs> yeah. felt like it, it should be like a white effect, should be a blue effect, you know, should have kind of stayed there. I feel like um, we've had that um, <laughs> this conversation a lot yeah. recently. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, there, there you go. Like, why not? Um, and, and in terms of CEDH, I think that it's just like, there's not enough decks that care enough about attacking that they like have to attack you Mm -hmm. if this comes into play. So like three mana to basically suggestively say to a timid player, like, don't attack me. You can if you like absolutely need to. That's not a problem whatsoever. You know, like maybe I'll get a card out of the deal. That that might be relevant in this context. But like if you're trying to win this turn, you're gonna attack me, uh, and probably be totally fine. Um, it just doesn't feel like it's operating along a relevant enough axis for CEDH. Um, you know, like people might choose not to send their crom at you, and if you're really concerned about protecting your life total okay, maybe uh, that's decent. But at the same time, like CDH games are just done so fast, typically that like, you know, people can send their attacks elsewhere and like, you know, like it's, it's not, it's just not that impactful ultimately. I, I wanted to pose the question. Um, suppose you are a Timna or a Najila, or you know, you're you're a deck that is going to attack and uh, plans to win. You know, um, right? If if you're you if a big part of your game engine is is through attacking, as as evidenced by you know Timna or Najila, um, and you're not going to win this turn, what circumstances? do you actually attack into somebody who has a cunning rhetoric or yeah, is it a good question? Do you, do you, do you ever actually, you know, how, how risk averse? And, and I think that might be just, um, might be something that just varies per player, how risk averse they individually right. are. I mean, I, to me, this is a, a pretty strong deterrent. If, if I'm, if I'm, if I don't, especially, if I don't have the pieces I need to win, if there's the possibility that I might reveal an Adnaz off the top of my deck to somebody, right? Um, it, it's it's a strong deterrent. Uh, but as you say, is 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 that enough? Because pe- it'll keep people off your backs. So like maybe if you're an Adnaz deck, well, you know have you know you you have the potential to reveal this from your adnos to burn yourself for three but i mean how much pressure does it exert before you get an adnos out to keep your life total high i i don't know i'm not i'm not convinced i mean that, yeah the opportunity cost for running this in an adnos uh, deck is just too high right like this could be a three mana do absolutely nothing um and like you give your opponents the option to make it a three mana do absolutely nothing and it's on an axis of play that's much, much harder or, or rather I should say much, much easier for an opponent to justify not doing compared mm-hmm. to something like casting multiple spells per turn, right? Right. Uh, compared to something like drawing additional cards. 
Um, you know, if we wanted to talk about like monologue tax or crom versus and, and like smothering tithe as examples, right? Um, I think I think people in my you know just just looking at the people talking about it on on social media, people are I think evaluating it from the point of view of oh this is card advantage because you know this is going to be a source of of card draw. I I, I don't think it's very often <laughs> going to ever actually be providing cards to people because of how risk averse I, I think I might I perceive most people in the metagame to be uh, if they're not planning to to win that turn they're just going to point their attacks elsewhere they're never right. going to give you cards off the top of their deck mm-hmm. and and I mean yeah. like the Timna deck I think can justify not drawing an extra, one extra card right in a lot right. of situations you're still going to it's still a broken card to draw two cards every turn right or even one extra card per turn is like it's good. Um, meanwhile, your opponent spent three mana to accomplish nothing except like deny you one card draw per turn. This is like not even whole breacher level good for three mana. Um, and Najila, you know, while this is stronger against Najila, um, that's only sort of very early on uh, when they're like trying to get to sort of critical mass. Uh, and so if you're the only person who's open very, very early on, then sure, maybe you'll get, you know, two additional cards off of this. Um, at, at which point they have four warrior tokens or three warrior tokens in Najila and like, you know, maybe you'll get one extra card if they send Najila your way, but they can send like the three warriors elsewhere and have like seven now. And from that point on, they probably don't really need to attack you much more. Uh, so, you know, you're hoping specifically to play against Najila, first of all. And second of all, you're hoping that no other opponent is presenting an open lane. Uh, and like third of all, you know, once Najila is ready to win, this card no longer really has much relevant text. Um, because, you know, if they've got the critical mass whereby they can swing elsewhere, they can just send the additional warrior tokens at you. And at a certain point, that math ends up working out such that, you know, they're going to kill you first without ever declaring any attacks at you. Um, you know, it's just kind of how the exponential math works. Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I, I think that uh, you were right on the money by saying that evaluating this as a value engine is <laughs> not the right way to go about it, except perhaps in, like, more casual circles, where, again, I feel like in many respects... This, kind of feels like a stronger deterrent than having to pay two mana to attack right it is it is really good um that it's like much better than ghostly prison like in my opinion it's significantly better right like I, I think the card advantage and then color stripping it is just really good. Um, and the thing is, I don't, I, I'm not saying we should play it. I don't think we should. I don't think it's very good in CEDH. It's a lot closer to something I would consider than ghostly prison. And this is, this is an argument we have with Charles. Sometimes it's Charles. Charles thinks that, you know, ghostly prison is, you know, card that we should consider playing and you know we've kind of gone back and forth on that a lot um 
regardless is the overwhelming kind of consensus is within the community that, uh, you know, playing ghostly prison isn't worth it. And this seems significantly better, much closer to something I would consider evaluating, but definitely not like, you know, at, at the point where it's, if it was whenever an opponent attacks, right. That's a whole different ball game, right? Yeah, and like, it was for each creature. I think I actually like was doing the math before as if I was counting each creature. So mm-hmm. like in actuality, it's even worse against Najila than I made it out to sound because you're gonna get one card, one right. card, and then like they never attack you ever again, right? Like, sorry to interrupt. I I just needed to correct that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Um. We'll see exactly uh, what it does, but it's a know. cool design. It just—it's a cool design. Yeah, not gonna get there for CDH. I don't think. I, I will say the art is fucking fantastic. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Oh, I, I gotta say, I—I I, I think I said this last week. Is Strixhaven overall doesn't really have a ton of CDH stuff in it, but like. I love this set so much because the mystical archives are just a slam dunk and the art is so cool on all of these cards. Even the stuff in the main set, the archive stuff looks cool. Like regardless of whether or not everything is CDH playable, the the cards are cool, right? Like they're still like interesting. We're talking about them and they, the arts are cool. Um, and you know what? Slam dunk. And this is a lot of people like this as a ca- as a commander or casual commander set too. So good for them. Not everything has to be a CDH set. Um, but uh, next we've got a uh, another card in Cobble. I think you were talking about this on Twitter. Um, is Keen Duelist? It's a one colorless and a black creature. That's a two two. Uh, that says at the beginning of your upkeep. You and target opponent each reveal the top card of your library. You each lose life equal to the mana value of the card revealed by the other player. You each put the card you revealed into your hand. Um, so, Cobble, you were talking about this on Twitter. And this is obvious. <laughs> this, this is a Bob effect. Right. Um, a lot of people were confused by this card. I at, was at talking the beginning. about this on Twitter mainly because I was aggravated at the clumsy wording that yeah. is very, mm-hmm. um, very challenging and very confusing and misleading uh, just because of the, 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 the use of, of plural versus singular. Um, so just to be clear, what this, what this is saying is at the beginning of your upkeep, you and target opponent each reveal the top card of your respective libraries. So you reveal the top card of your library and the opponent you chose reveals the top card of their library. And then you trade damage based on what the other person revealed. And then you each put the card that you revealed into your hand. So it's, it's basically doubling up on Bob and, um, it is not a bad card for for casual. It's not a bad card in 60 card formats. Um, there are people in Legacy that are talking about this card. Right. Because of the fact that you know you, you can treat it as as burn if you're mm-hmm. if you're 
if you're aggressively going to be um, wanting to to use this as an engine for for burning your opponents out, um, it can backfire, of course, because you don't know right. what your opponents are are going to be revealing off the top of their decks too. But um, you know, if you're doing some sort of a reanimator strategy or something like that, and you know that you're just going to be well randomly or you know uh, having the variance in favor of you revealing large <laughs> flipping CMC. off a gristle brand right so <laughs> oh and, baby right so right and and the reason why that's good in 60 card is because it's two player and it's heads right. up and that is going to be a fast enough clock for this for it for it to be able to compensate for handing card advantage to your opponent because right. that's the thing that really is the gating factor that makes it not uh quite admissible for cedh so Mm -hmm. if if you're playing two player um you know you're and and you draw a card and your opponent draws a card and you are constructing your deck in in such a way that you are having higher average cmc or higher average mana value um to be able to (laughs) compensate for the fact that you're handing card advantage to your opponent Right. Because you're going to be able to clear that that clock is fast enough that you're going to be able to put your opponent, um, you know, out of the game uh, quickly. In the case of playing against three opponents that each have 40 life, there, you know, there there aren't cards in print <laughs> that allow you to create a clock. Even even you know you look at you know Eureka decks where that's I think where some of the conversation has come up in CEDH mm-hmm. for people talking about this card where, you know, Eureka is, Eureka is symmetrically putting a clock on, on all opponents burning. But even, even in that case, the, the, the burn implementation of Eureka is, is decidedly less powerful than right. the, the, the implementations of Eureka that are more insistent on, disruption and you know stacks effects and things like that rather than kind of you know full full core burn um that said you know sure this could probably be useful in Eureka because you're creating card advantage but still the the clock in that particular case is going to be slower than i think the advantage that you're giving to your opponents by allowing them also to have a card so um I, I I feel like, you know, this is you you can choose an opponent that is behind to kind of mitigate it to some degree. So there there's there's a, like a dusk mantle seer or something like this that was like a four mm-hmm. mana bob that came out a while back that was you know symmetric and everybody got a card out of it, and um, you know it burned all of your opponents. Uh, you certainly don't see that, and this is only somewhat better than than that effect because you're not giving everybody a card. You're just choosing one person to get a card. But the fact that you're choosing somebody else to get a card is, uh, you know, just for for my money, um, I I'm I'm happy to have just normal Bob, <laughs> um, right. and and this just doesn't get there for me. Yeah, I don't I don't have much else to add about this card. Like it's it's not a good card. We're in a time now where people are starting to cut Bob from their deck. Yeah. 
And right. certainly people are not going to play this if they're cutting Bob. I, I gotta be, I gotta say this real quick because I, when I was looking at our show notes before we went in, I saw the word shared Bob and my lizard brain saw SpongeBob and got really confused. Um, <laughs> shared Bob Square no, Pants. No, no, that's, that's next year. We're going to get the, uh, the crossover SpongeBob SquarePants set. Just, just Gosh, wait. Patrick Starr no. is going to break CEDH. Please no. He's he, five uh. points. Two arms, two legs, and a point on his uh, head. That, one for each color. Five color food chain. Draw five cards when he enters the battlefield. No. Five, oh, five oh man, on to, on to our next card. You heard uh, it here first. God, oh, misery. man. Next card on the list is another black card. It's Stinging Study. It's a four color list in a black instant. That says you draw X cards and you lose X life, or X is the mana value of a commander you own on the battlefield or in the command zone. I hate mana value. It doesn't have the same ring as CMC. I just have to get it out of there. Anyhow, um, Pongo, this card. Uh, five mana, you draw X, where X is the CMC of your commander. Pretty much wherever he is, is wherever it is, as long as it's not in your hand or in the graveyard. Um, so, so what do we think about this card? Um, I don't think it's good enough. I mm-hmm. think, uh, I mean, l- let me go over sort of the points in its favor, right? Um, so there's a good number of decks where this is going to be five CMC, draw five. And I think that's like, I'm, I'm like only kind of like opening one of my two eyes, like getting up out of bed you know when when it's doing that for 5 cmc i don't mm-hmm. you know i don't think i'm like fully awake i'm like still kind of groggy and i'm like eh, you know what like nah forget about it um you could conceivably play this in a deck like kamal kamal the new partner kamal um you know then you'd be playing uh kamal alongside like a black partner um mm-hmm. and i think his cmc is 8 so at which point you know you've got a 5 mana instant speed draw eight um and 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 lose eight life obviously that's like mm, you know like i think i'm still probably in bed at that point just because like (laughs) here's the thing it's not ad nauseum right it's just not ad nauseum like for five mana why am i only drawing eight cards when I could be drawing twenty plus cards and playing a better commander than Kamal, so what um, would it? What what would get you out of bed for this? <laughs> seven uh, seven mana draw forty. Yeah, seven mana draw forty is pretty. May I intrigue you in appearance <laughs> the abyss? <laughs> uh, you know the, there are commanders. Um, there's the, the scarecrow commander, the Reaper King, which I believe uh, is a five. Um, it's a five color commander. And because of the way it's like hybrid mana works, you can draw 10 cards for five mana. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're playing the Reaper King for some reason at that point, like who does very, very little compared to a lot of other five color options. Um, so I don't know that this card is going to uh, single handedly propel that card into CEDH relevance. And, you know, if we're like memeing and like thinking about like the biggest possible commander, I think. That you could play, I think it's Iname as one. Iname as one. 
um, at 12 CMC. So for five mana, you can draw 12 cards and lose 12 life. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still in bed at this point. Um, it's, it's just not ad nauseum. <laughs> like, you know, this card is just, uh, it's not getting there in decks with cheaper commanders. And I don't see the appeal of playing a more expensive commander giving up on the potential to have like an actual commander um, like Krom, you know, like Tevesh, just so I can play, you know, a, a strictly, strictly worse ad nauseum or like a much, much worse peer into the abyss. I, I think that it's worth saying that this is not a bad card. I mean, five mana draw eight or five mana draw five or six is at instant speed is is great, but we live in a world where we have access to Adnaz and Peer into the Abyss. And already, I mean, if 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 you're playing a deck that's constructed to be able to play an Adnaz game, then you are already kind of pushing the tolerance of what you can accept slot-wise when you include Peer into the Abyss, because you know that's a seven mana hit. Are you going to bump Peer into the Abyss to put Stinging Study in in its stead? Or are you going to play Stinging Study in addition to Peer into the Abyss and your Adnaz? Um, it's, it's one of those things where we have such an embarrassment of riches of huge, huge mana advantage in, in that shell that, um, or huge, you know, just card advantage. Um, through Adnaz and Peer into the Abyss, that y- you really have to beat one of those two cards, really, I think, uh, at this mana cost to be able to be able to, to 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 play. And I mean, this is this is a this is a good card. That's you know, drawing drawing five or six cards or eight cards or you know whatever um, at instant speed is fantastic. It's just not fantastic enough compared to what we've already got. I think I know what will get me out of bed to play this card. What's that? Here we go. Play it in mono black villas. <laughs> there you go. That's a five mana what draw sixteen? That's okay. That's uh, actually pretty hot. <laughs> I mean you need you need to have villas in play first, but you know, like <laughs> Right. What about Shadrick Silverquill? I opened one of those today, so I'm really excited. I might build a casual deck, guys. I'm really excited. Um, the next card on our list is a card called Incarnation Technique. It is a four colorless and a black sorcery that has this ability that's new to this commander set called Demonstrate. Uh, that says when you cast this spell, you may copy it. If you do, choose an opponent to also copy it. Uh, the ability on the card is mill five cards, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, so demonstrates an interesting mechanic, but uh, Cobblepot, what are you? What is your take on this card? So this is, it's it's a mill card, and it's a reanimation spell, and it's a win con. Um, I I don't think it's particularly great at any of those things individually. So let's let's kind of break it down. Uh, into each of those slots. So it's five mana sorcery speed. So this is not something that you're going to be doing interactively. This is something you're going to be doing on your turn and you're going to have to 
kind of build up to it because of the the mana investment that we have here. So if you cast it just for its its standard, you know, you you just cast it and you don't demonstrate, you're going to mill five cards and return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. And that is something that you can maybe combine with a, you know, if if you're have an underworld breach out, then if you've got Underworld Breach and Dockside Extortionist and some way to kill your Dockside Extortionist, then this is going to let you propel through the rest of your deck and keep on recurring your Dockside Extortionist and you know win whichever way you want to. Um, or uh, you know, the more interesting thing that you can do with this is to demonstrate, which means that you get two copies of it, so you're going to mill 10 cards, return two creatures, and then target an opponent to mill. Um ostensibly, if you have a loop going with this, you can mill all your opponents out completely of all of the uh, the cards that they have in their decks. And yes, they're going to be able to put their creatures into play, but if they can't win instantaneously, then you know they're, they're going to die when they go to, to, to their draw steps. I, I think that you know, in a world where Spleenface is playing Razaketh, uh, <laughs> You know, there that's there's there's some risk involved in, in having that expectation. <laughs> um, but at so look, you know how how well does it do all those things? Okay, if if you are wanting to put together some sort of a win con with this, that's an A plus B win con. Um, you either have to have those creatures already in your graveyard, or you have to like cross your fingers that your top 10 cards is going to be able to assemble the, the, the win con that you're looking for. Plus you, you know, have to have some level of confidence that the opponent that you're handing a copy of this to, uh, isn't going to mill something that's going to be disruptive to whatever your game is. If you're, if your particular local meta is saturated with opposition agents and and hull breachers and, and things like that, or worse, you know, gilded drakes and so on. Um, the you know choosing to to opt into the the demonstrate with this definitely has 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 risk associated with it because of how disruptive a lot of those creatures are. So the, it's it's one of those things where regardless of what what the price is of of this spell. The, the mechanics of how it plays out seems k- kind of dodgy to me and mm-hmm. uh, has a, you know, kind of like a, a big surface for, for exploitation by your opponents to make it go uh, kind of against what your will <laughs> is intended. Um, and then when you combine that with the fact that it's a sorcery speed five mana spell, I mean, you're, you're not going to be doing a whole lot more in your with your turn, or you know, you're you're not going to have a lot of mana left over to protect it, you know, un, unless you're already doing some sort of a dockside loop or something like that. In which case, then it's mm-hmm. just you know a five mana uh, finish the you know finish them off kind of a spell when already um, uh, brain freeze is much more compact and just as effective or more effective because you know it has storm. So for, for my money, this, I, I, I don't see this getting there, but I can, I can appreciate the, the interesting angles of play 
that it produces and the fact that it can do multiple different things and has a lot of utility. Um, I think it's super exciting for casual just because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, there's, you know, the uncertainty there, but also, you know, uh, political kind of things where, Hey, let's, let's all get together and take on the person who's, who's the threat or whatever and come from behind and win or something like that. Um, but for, for CEDH, I just don't think this has the, has what it needs. Mm-hmm. It's, a, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. card. I, I mean, I love both of these cards for more like casual EDH, like Cobble was mm-hmm. saying. And I think that like the design, from the perspective of design, um, you know, I'm I'm totally okay with commander cards, you know, being like higher CMC, you know, not being like targeted towards like really spiky players, you know, kind of like following through with that design philosophy that I was talking about before that Gavin was kind of uh, getting at, you know, where they're trying to avoid making like crazy staple cards. Uh, You know, this doesn't scream crazy staple card in black to me. The last card doesn't scream crazy staple card to me, but like in the right context, these are like really like flashy and powerful and, and like really exciting. So like they're staples for certain decks, you know, incarnation technique. If I still had my, my casual, like, um, Sultai Sadisi deck, like, I would be super excited to play this card because, you know, like, you can probably find an opponent who, like, they're not going to play creatures that you care about that that much. But, you know, you play this card and you make a copy of it. You mill five cards, trigger Sadisi to get a 2-2 zombie, reanimate something that you, like, previously milled with Sadisi or with this card, and then do that all over again. Like, that's crazy. Like, I would be all for that. That's super exciting. But, um, you know, as far as CDH is concerned, I think Cobble said pretty much everything that needs to be said. Yeah. Um, moving on down to the red cards here for us. Uh, we've got Rayona Fire Dancer. Uh, it's a legendary creature that costs three colorless and two red. It's a 3-4 that says at the beginning of combat on your turn, create, a- create X tokens that are copies of another target creature you control, where X is one plus the number of instants and sorcery spells you've cast this turn, they gain haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, so, uh, Pongo, am I correct? This goes infinite pretty fast, right? Yeah, I and I, I hate to say it. Unfortunately, we're probably not playing this in Najila. Um, <laughs> You know, it's pretty hot that you can play this. It's not with, a warrior. Well, <laughs> if it was a warrior, then maybe I would consider it more strongly. But the five mana is is mainly the issue, and and needing to combo it with something else. You know, uh, it like it goes infinite pretty rapidly with Doxat Extortionist in Nagila to take extra combat steps. But like, what else does it do other than that? Right? Like, I guess you know theoretically you can copy like an extra. I don't know, maybe Mindblade Render, that might be like one of the best things you can theoretically copy um, because like losing things at the end step means that like copying a Dark Confidant's not that exciting. Copying, uh, you know, like a lot of value engines, creature-based value engines that require an opponent to do something. Like imagine you had a Krom in play, not that exciting. Copying legendary creatures, not that exciting. Um, so really like it ends up needing to combo with, at least in that deck, uh, Toxide Extortionist, um, or or you know you could theoretically get some like limited amount of value by making an extra warrior token and then like getting one permanent 
additional warrior token, but for five mana, that's not all that exciting, right? Um, you can theoretically play this alongside things like Combat Celebrant, and like that's mm -hmm. pretty cool, but you would want to, I think, be playing Combat Celebrant first. Um, and there are certainly decks where I think that's true, right? Like, if you play this in Winota, um, I think that's probably decent. Um, I would have to speak right. to Winota players, but I could certainly see that here. Uh, to get Ian it's on a the human. Phone. Yeah, being a human and all, also very relevant. Um, and I know Goto players had, had considered it, and I think that ultimately are, you know, they've kind of decided not to play it. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll trust their judgment on that one. But, you know, what this can do is essentially, you know, do something similar to Goto Helm type combos. It's not identical. Why? Because with Goto Helm, you create tokens that uh, are not legendary. So you can actually, mm -hmm. like, accumulate essentially infinite 3-3s. Three um, with this, you have to sacrifice the original Goto I think to to the legendary rule um and then you have to sacrifice your tokens to the legendary rule so you can keep attacking with the three three and if somebody has something that blocks the three three then then i think you just you're done at that point right so um you know it's certainly less consistent than something like helm as far as those combos are concerned even if it feels like it's a consi potential consideration there right is it a deck on its own um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Like, so obviously in, in that deck, you're probably playing like combat celebrant and stuff like that. Right. Like right. the biggest issue is that I don't think it's better than a lot of other mono red options. Uh, you know, you need mm -hmm. to cast your five drop and you also need to have the combat celebrant. Um, these things are kind of hard to tutor for in mono red, so you can't necessarily mm -hmm. have them all that reliably. It needs to be a creature, so you're not suddenly comboing this with like your other additional red extra combat step things that exist. Um, so you know, while I wouldn't be surprised to see this as a deck, I just don't think it's going to be as good as like Goto, for example. Right. Like, right. I don't think it's going to be as good as as Magda. Um, I just think that it gets outclassed by a lot of mono red commanders. Right. I think that it it is going to make the biggest presence in in Winota uh, just because of the fact that Winota uh, because of the fact that it's a human will get around having to pay for it and right. then if once you get it onto the battlefield then you're 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 in a really good situation because it's going to create some number of of tokens and for Winota you don't have to get a special I mean, I think Winota does run Combat Celebrant, but um, right. you don't need Combat Celebrant to get a huge amount of value off of this. You, right, this is going to get value real quick on its own. Right, so of in, in, in the context of Winota, you cast, you know, one or two instants or sorceries, and then you choose one of your non-human creatures, you get those, and then attack with them with, you know, Winota on the battlefield, and all of a sudden you're you're just... Uh, creating a huge amount of, of, of value very quickly. And even if it's non-infinite, a lot of times you're probably going to be able to put something together just because of how many cards you're looking at off the top of your deck and putting things yeah. on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, this feels like a potentially very strong card for Winota. Ian, 
Let's get him. I need to call him up. Uh, next card up on our list is our last card on the list is Cursed Mirror. It's a two colorless and a red artifact uh, that you can tap it and add a red. And it says, as Cursed Mirror enters the battlefield, you may have it become a copy of any creature on the battlefield till end of turn, except it has haste. Yep. So, Cobblepot, uh, this is a sort of, uh, you know, phantasmal image-esque type creature thing. Uh, that's also a mana rock. You know, what do we, what do we think of this thing? So, um, this is primarily being talked about for, for Godo, which already runs Heat Shimmer and Twin Flame, mm-hmm. which uh, the, the, the idea here is... The mainline Godo uh, combo is 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 eleven mana top to bottom. So, you know, you 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 pay for the Godo, and then your 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 Helm comes in, and then you have to activate Helm. Um, then you still have to be able to attack with Godo, and he doesn't naturally have haste. So, uh, what happens is if you cast Godo and then cast Heat Shimmer or Twin Flame, then the copy that comes into the battlefield has haste and allows you to um, string together uh, instead of going for Helm of the Host first, what happens is you cast your Godo and get um, Hammer of Nazan, which uh, will attach itself naturally and then also um, will attach, uh, will allow other uh, equipment to be attached uh, for free. So you can, you know, cast your Godo, go get Hammer of Nazan, get it attached, and then you cap, you cast a copy, you know, like Heat Shimmer or Twin Flame to make a, a copy of the Godo to go and actually get the Helm of the Host and then be able to attach it. And now you've uh, you've wound up uh, skirting the, the cost and bringing the cost down to, to, to eight or nine in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically just a another means of getting there for a reduced price from the the, the full 11 so um, that 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 line where you cast the godo and then cast you know a, a copy spell of, of, of one kind or another is is a, a a strong line for for that deck so increasing the saturation by having another three mana way of, of, of doing that, is is just going to be one of those things where it's not going to be bumping heat shimmer or twin flame out. It's going to be added, and um, it'll just increase the the number of lines that uh, are are able to 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 make that play. So I don't know what they're bumping out in order to to, to get it in, but um, the fact that this leaves behind an artifact in case you get disrupted that can that's a, that's a mana rock is, is also just it's superior to what is already there because heat shimmer and twin flame. It's like, if you get disrupted, well, okay, then you're disrupted. So this at least kind of has a consolation prize of helping you to rebuild if, if something happened. So um, it's, it's just a it's, a, it's a good addition. And I think that people who have, who have been doing testing with it so far have, have been pleased and have been saying that it's, it's a winner. It looks really cool. Yeah. Great go card. Well, that about wraps things up uh, for our set review here. Uh, there were no real humdingers in green. Uh, nothing that we really 
felt too enthused about. Um, which is interesting because green has been really good for a while. This, this set had a lot of good black stuff. I felt like, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would say that it had a lot of good. It, it, well, had, yeah. it has a lot of stuff intriguing. Sure. Yeah, really, really good is putting it a little far. Right. Did I say really uh, good? Yeah. No, no. It yeah, I mean, it's a good had intriguing, thing. intriguing cards in all the colors that were not green. Green was pretty underwhelming. Um, right. But it'll be interesting. But um, that actually uh, wraps up this first season of the Mind Sculptors, believe it or not. Um, we kind of Pongo, Cobblepot, and I started with the Commander Legends set review. Man, what was that? All the way back in November? Um, it's been a minute. And it's been a minute. And uh, turns out that we all kind of worked well together. So here we are today. Um, but what we're, what, just so you guys know what we're going to be doing here over the next few months is uh, we won't be having the main podcast. Uh, what we will be doing is we're going to be doing coverage of Major League Commander. So um, here at the end, I, I am going to break it down for our listeners so you guys can get really hyped up about it. Uh, so what Major League Commander is, is it's a thing that we are doing uh, with the r slash uh, competitive EDH Discord server and as well as the uh, competitive EDH uh, decklist database. And so what this is, we've got 32 uh, players uh, that are either notable players in the community or content creators uh, who are all going to be playing and they're broken up into uh, eight divisions uh, all regionally as, as best we could uh, allocated. Um, and so what we're going to do is uh, there's been a draft order that has been determined. And what they're going to do is they're going to have four decks that they have to pick off of the CEDH database. And they can only pick one of the like tabs. So, you know, you can't, we're not going to see like four different versions of Najila. There's only that Najila tempo. Only one person can get that. They can pick whatever list they want. Uh, but what they're going to do is they're going to pick four lists and they're going to draft them off of the, off of the database. And then they're going to have to play each of those lists at least once, but no more than three times. Uh, so we're going to get to see a lot of the cards off the database, but it's going to be a 12-week season. Uh, everybody has two buys, um, and we have a predetermined schedule that'll be in the links down below. Um, and there will be home players who get to go first, um, and then everybody else rolls to go to see who goes second, third, and fourth. Um and it's going to be really interesting how this all goes down, because uh, basically what's going to happen at the end of the season, uh, each division winner uh, will go to the playoffs plus one wild card player from each conference. So there's two conferences with four divisions. Um, the top two players with the best record that make the playoffs get a buy automatically go to the finals. And then the other eight players have a playoff. Uh, and that's all going to be on August 7th. Uh, but it all kicks off on May 1st with the uh, MLC uh, deck draft. Um, and that's going to be in the r slash CEDH Discord server, which I'm going to link here in the description as well. 
but we're going to have a lot of really cool coverage for that. Uh, all of our gameplay is going to be that uh, really from May all the way till August uh, is what we're going to be doing. And then what we're also going to be doing is in place of the podcast during that time, what we're going to be doing is a show called MLC Weekly. And uh, that is going to be myself, Laser Gishin, who uh, is an esports commentator, and uh, Cobblepot, I believe you're uh, doing this with us too. That's right. Um, we'll be breaking down what happened each week uh, and giving our insights into how the season's going. It's going to be kind of like college, you know, college game day. Uh, and that will come out uh, Friday mornings uh, every week before MLC games start. Um, so that'll be kind of your weekend kickoff, uh, for the games and they're going to be, they're going to go all weekend. So, you know, you'll have a Friday night game. You'll have, uh, I believe we had five games on Saturday afternoon and then two games on Sunday. Uh, so you'll have plenty of opportunities to watch. Plus we're going to record one and have a feature game that will come out every week as well. That'll usually be about a week behind everything else though. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, this is something Pongo and I have been planning for a while. Um, and I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, if you've lo- seen on Twitter, I changed my, <laughs> changed my Twitter bio to CEDH Mel Kuyper <laughs> because I've been doing mock drafts, uh, <laughs> and like predicting what I think people are going to do. And, uh, I just, I just think this is so much fun. I'm so ready for it. Um, yeah, and Pongo's gonna be playing. Really exciting. Oh yeah, I'm I'm super hyped for it. Who uh, who's all in your division? I forget everybody that's in your division. It's me. Uh, I remember play M. Man, I I need to go check. I'm gonna make a fool of myself. You play M. Pontus. Yeah, Pontus. We were triple P. Yeah, and then who was the last person? Let me see if I can find out. Is it Coinman? Yes. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, wow, I, coin man. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a blast from um, the past. Let me here I can let me pull up uh the conferences cuz I cuz I think you'll get a kick out of this. Um so we've got some interest so so I'll just start in the Western Conference. The Pacific Division in the Western Conference is Cameron from the Lab Maniacs. He's going to be yep. participating. Um Securia who's actually from Porto Port, uh, Porto Portugal. Um he's filling in for Falcon who uh had to drop out. And I didn't want to rearrange the divisions. Um, so he's going to be playing in the Western Conference. Uh, Sage from Sage of Fables. They are going to be in the Pacific Conference. And then Josh from Second 7 MTG will be over there. Uh, Southwest Division will be higher from the CDH ne- Nexus. Uh, Fukins, who's uh, been in quite a few of the last you know, top 16s of these last few big tournaments. Uh, Ken, our good friend from Stack DDH. LJ from the reflecting pool. That's going to be the Southwest Midwest conference or division is going to be our own Phoenix uh, snacks. She's been on the channel before Nick from the tryhards and Deke from the CEDH Nexus will be playing as well. In the Southern division, you've got flash and from the RCEDH discord, Helenium from the spell seekers, hokey rules, who I feel like might as well uh, be from the spell seekers. Uh, but he, he's a, uh, the resident Godo player. Uh, and Infinite IMOC will be over there as well. In the Eastern Conference, like we said, is Pontus, Playam, Pongo, and Coinman over there in the Eastern North Division. Uh, Northeast Division uh, is... Do you, have you seen this rundown yet, Cobble? 
No, I have not. Okay. So the Northeast division is Lurker, Ian, comedian MTG, Scoots, and Spleenface. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that going to be That's a division? Be amazing. Yeah. Uh, the Atlantic division is Rebel, Kai from the Spellseekers, Braden from the CEDH cast, and Charles, our own Charles. Mono White guy is going to be in the Atlantic division. And then in the Central division is Sick Robot. Uh, Devante from the reflecting pool, Timmy T100, uh, in squirrel mob is going to be that central division. So, wow. uh, it's, we've got some big names, some people who, you know, are a blast from the past, some vets, some newer guys. Uh, but I'm really excited for this. It's, I, I, I think it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Well, that about wraps things up for us here today. Just a quick reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at Sculpty Boys, or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the description below. I want to also give an extra thanks to all of our patrons who help keep the lights on. If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us this week and from all of us here at the mind sculptors. I'm Callahan. And we'll see you next time.